birth pains with more to come. In the New American Standard, it actually has pangs, P-A-N-G-S, birth pangs. And um, birth pangs are one of the repetitive pains that occur in childbirth, those contractions, um, debilitating things. <laughs> so I hear. Um, but it's also been defined, birth pangs, as a difficulty or a turmoil that's associated with a development, with a transition. A birth pang is a difficulty handling change. And so with that in mind, let's continue reading Matthew 24, because Jesus says this is only the first of the birth pangs. You think this is uncomfortable when there's going to be wars and rumors of wars and nations going against nations? You think this is going to be uncomfortable when there's famine and earthquake all across the world? This is only the beginning. Jesus is trying to prepare us for what's to come. And like in labor, that contraction happens and there's a pause. And there's another one. And eventually it gets a little more intense, a little closer together. And you made it through the last one, you're going to make it through this one. You made it through the last one. You're going to make it through this one. Amen, moms? Amen. And so uh, let's continue reading. 9 through 14. Nice and loud. Jesus says, Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear, and many will deceive, I'm sorry, and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. So in your bulletin, you have a little question there. Do you agree that pain is inevitable and that obedience is optional? Pain is inevitable. Obedience is optional. This is a trick question. You can't answer yes or no and be right on both of them. Because if you look, look at verse 13. Matthew 24, verse 13. But the one who endures to the and will be saved. Okay, so obedience isn't really optional if you want to be saved, that is. We must endure. Pain is inevitable. Jesus says we're going to be persecuted, arrested, killed. We're going to be mocked, rejected. We're going to be the laughing stock. But those who endure to the end will be saved. Jesus, he actually uses, uh, he talks about labor pains and stuff elsewhere. In John 16, 21, that's going to be on the wall here. Uh, this is what Jesus says. It will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. When her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. Amen? It's like all of that, you know, screaming and grunting and throwing things maybe. And it's just like, it doesn't even, it was worth it. And uh, you ever wonder why they call it labor? 
by the way? I, I wondered. The, I looked it up because uh, <laughs> I have time for that. Um, <clears throat> the Greek words for labor in Scripture actually are not the same, um, nor are they similar. I looked that up. Um, in Matthew 9, when Jesus says, look, the harvest is, is plentiful, it's ready, and the laborers are few, right? He's not talking about women in pregnant, you know, labor there. He's actually, that word is, refers to a toiler, a worker. Uh, in John 16, what we just read, the word labor means to produce, especially a woman giving birth to a baby. And it's also translated as being in travail. Um, travail is not a common word that we use. But what I did find interesting is though they're not similar in Greek, in English, they are very similar. Pain, and, I'm sorry, labor and labor. Um, yes, I looked this up too. <laughs> labor actually comes from Old French, came into English about 730 years ago. And it meant, as it does today, to perform manual or physical work, to work hard, to endeavor, to strive, Right? Um, but the, the modern verb, labor, in, in Spanish, uh, Portuguese, French, it actually means to plow. However, um, in a wider sense, it's actually more similar to travail, that, that, that other word that's just kind of, what is that? And I think a woman defined the word travail. Uh, travail came about 730 years ago into the English language, as, as did labor. came from another old French word talking about a painful effort, suffering, an arduous journey is travail. But the old French word actually found its roots in a Latin word that meant torture or torment. I don't know what your birth story is like. But maybe travail is a good word for that. <laughs> maybe labor is a good word. Um, getting into, I'm obviously talking about this because it's Mother's Day, and I don't know, that's probably a dangerous subject to talk about, the pain of childbirth. Um, but it's also the joy of childbirth. Let's look at John sixteen twenty one again. It'll be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. When her child is born, her anguish, her travail her labor, you know, the suffering, and all of the pressing on and the, the getting through the difficult, the stress, turns to joy because she's brought a new baby into the world. You know, in context, this verse is actually in the middle of Jesus telling his disciples that he's going to go away for a little while and then come back. He's alluding to his death and resurrection. See, he's telling the disciples that they're going to grieve bitterly. They're going to have their heart broken. They're going to be in travail because of his death. But, say but. <laughs> but they will have unshakable, untakeable joy at the resurrection because Jesus will have brought salvation into the world. Amen? I'm a, all right. Um, let's, let's see a little bit more here. Um, I've had a little bit of experience with child, child labor recently, um, <laughs> and I thought it would be neat to share some interesting observations um, and some education I've received about it. This is from a husband's perspective, um, so bear with me. How many of you had to have a childbirth class before giving birth? 
Come on, proud. Hold it up there. I had to sit through a class. Interesting. It seems about half of the room, huh? Um, Ava was born about 18 months ago, and she was born at the Midwife Center up in Pittsburgh. And they required that we attend a birth class if we're going to have a baby delivered in their center. And um, it was an awesome experience for me. I loved it. Um, <laughs> I was pretty bummed that it was only a two-day class. Uh, <laughs> I'm serious. Uh, but I think Gina was okay because I was embarrassing her with all my questions um, to the teacher in public. Um, but, but here's a few things that I learned. You might want to write something down here. I, I hope you have. You don't have room on your bulletin, I'm sure of it. But find something else. Put it on your hand. Here's a few things I learned at the childbirth class. One, pregnancy is a natural part of being a woman. It's not a medical condition like our insurance companies like to make it. It's a nat- say natural. You see, we have a culture of, and pa- Pastor Joel touched on this a little bit last week, there's a culture of lust. I'm trying to be PG here. Um, that, that saturates our lives, and it's all around us. And we have a culture of greed. We have a culture of entitlement that I deserve this, that you owe me something. We have a culture of fear. And businesses, salesmen, they use that, they feed off of that to get your money, (laughs) to get your attendance at things. Um, And that's no different in pregnancy, that it's fear has changed our approach to medicine. Used to be that when something's wrong, we go to the doctor. But now there's a fear of, of a potential disease, potential complications, potential recurrence. And so we think we're, we're being preventative. Many times it's unnecessary, the things that we do, things that we go through, the things that we buy, things we buy into. And I'm not going to preach on that. I'm just saying we see how fear drives our decisions. Lust drives our decision. Greed drives our decisions. And that's not how it should be in the kingdom of God. Um, So pregnancy is a normal thing. We have an OBGYN, obstetric gynecologist. There's actually one in the room, and he tells me not to be nervous when I'm talking about him but I am nervous. (laughs) But an OBGYN, they specialize in the pathology. Say pathology. Pathology. The cool word, like mythology, but it's not mythology. Pathology is like disease, dysfunction. Something went wrong, okay? Uh, They specialize in the pathology of reproductive organs and pregnancy. When something goes wrong, they're the one you want to see. And as I said, Ava was born in the midwife center. Um, That's been around longer than doctors have been because moms have assisted daughters in pregnancy from time beginning. (laughs) Um, And midwives, they don't specialize in disease and things like that. They're medical professionals too, but they specialize in 
normalcy. Say normalcy. So how that works is um, this, this leads me to the second aspect, something that I learned at my childbirth class. What is unique about pregnancy is that it has wide parameters of normalcy. Um, it's normal to be sick as a dog your first trimester. And it is normal to not be sick at all. This is weird. But from here to here, this is considered normal in pregnancy. Uh, you can carry high, you can carry low. It's normal. Um, the, the fundus can measure from 22 centimeters to 26 centimeters when you're 24 weeks pregnant. This is normal. Cravings and changes in taste. This is normal. Mood swings are normal. You become forgetful. This is normal. You can be dilated for a whole week before you go into labor. This is normal. You cannot be dilated and two hours later holding your baby. This is normal. Do you see what I mean? It's just the scope of how, how big what is normal for women to experience is a broad thing. Um, as we experience, uh, I don't know if 72 hours is normal. I know 16 to 24 hours is normal for a labor. Um, and, and one or two hours is normal for a labor, as I've discovered with my second child, Jude, two months ago, who at 7.15 in the morning, Gina says, ah, I think we're going to meet the baby today. And at 9.15 in the morning, I'm holding him. Okay? <laughs> um, as wide as these parameters are for normalcy, women's bodies can go outside of these parameters. And this places them and or their child at greater risk. When you're outside of what's normal, you're at greater risk for complication. This is where you need the OBGYN especially. Because they're going to help to make sure that the mother and the baby are safe. They're going to assess how complicated the delivery could be so that mom and the medical staff can prepare for what's to come. You know what I'm talking about? They're a specialist to make sure something's a little out of what's normal. We're going to make sure you're safe. And um, so this is good, understanding the relationship that we don't, midwives don't hate doctors and, you know, we don't despise it. And it was a good, healthy understanding and relationship. So here's the third thing. And this is one, if you haven't written anything down yet, I want you to write this down. It's called the cycle of pain. If you want, write it on your hand. Um, and it's, it's going to be a little box, three boxes, like a triangle. And you're going to draw arrows that they're all connected to each other. They all feed into each other. All right? The top box, say pain. Pain is inevitable. If you're going to give birth naturally, uh, like most people who want to who go to a midwife center, they want to give naturally, there's going to be pain. And... There's no way to avoid that if you're trying to just go natural. Our first response to pain is fear. That's your bottom right box, fear. When we feel pain, we're afraid because we don't know something's wrong, something's not right, something's out of whack, I, I, I don't understand what's happening, what's going to happen next. And because of that, this leads to tension, which is your third box. Tension. And you, go, you become 
tight and stressed out, and that amplifies the pain, which then causes more fear, which makes you more stressed and more tense, which causes more pain for you. Are you guys seeing the sick cycle here? That pain leads to fear, leads to tension and stress. And what I see here is uh, with the childbirth class, and now don't worry, I'm not going to just get stuck on this. We're going to transition back to Jesus. Um, is that pain is inevitable, but fear doesn't have to be. There's two kinds of fear. There's known fear, what, what, to, what you know to expect, and there's unknown fear. But I have no clue what's going to happen. And unknown fear is paralyzing. It, it, you, you, you don't know what to do. Should I stay or should I go? Should I get this? Should I leave? Should I not have this? And, and it, just, it causes all kinds of anxiety. But when you know what to expect, you can cut out fear from your little circle of pain. And when you cut out the fear of what to expect, now you have to deal with the pain and the tension because it hurts. And so they turn out some just unique stuff, you know, you know, the whole like, you know, rubber bag and don't touch me. And then you know, press right here and then die, leave me alone and, and all that. But there's other stuff um, like, like going from the center of her body to her hands and, and just kind of gentle and going from there. It just causes a calming, relaxing sensation, giving a hand massage. There's just different things you can do to help her relax when she's in the middle of all this pain. And you can ease the tension. So when you cut out the fear, you cut out the tension. All you have to deal with is the pain. And we know that the pain is going to get gradually more and more intense until the baby's born. And so if I made it this far, I can make it to the next. You guys picking up what I'm laying down? Yeah? Guys, this cycle of pain thing, it actually applies to all kinds of areas of our life, not just pregnancy, labor delivery. I want to share um, another cool thing, and, and, and I'll come back to this cycle of fear. See, I want you guys to say purpose. We prayed for Zoe earlier just now, and um, praying that God, he has a plan and purpose for her life. And God has a plan and purpose for your life. For every single one of you, he has a plan and purpose for your life. And it's up to you to walk in obedience if you're going to walk in his purpose for your life. God doesn't force us to do things. And what I've discovered through scripture is when God has a purpose to fulfill, a child is born. Abraham had Jacob. That was the nation of Israel. Moses he freed the nation of Israel when they were enslaved because they turned their back on God, which God told Abraham would happen. So Moses freed him. Joshua was born, and he brought them to the promised land. Some of you guys are familiar with this, so you're, you'll track along. There's a history of Israel here that I'm talking about. And so not only did you have these people who were God's chosen people um, that lived in this land now, David actually helped. He was born to establish the kingdom of Israel kingdom of Israel. But, as is their habit, Israel turned their back on God. And like, the God who? And they went off and did stupid stuff. And they worshipped other gods. And Isaiah was born to call Israel back to God and also to prophesy about Jesus, the Savior of the world. And then Israel was stupid again. Because they knew better, but they did it anyway. Jeremiah was born. He called Israel back to God. And 
at this time, God allowed the enemies of Israel to take them captive, to turn them into slaves. And they were dispersed all over the, the world. And this is where the story of Daniel comes in. You guys remember Daniel and the lion's den, right? So then God, he brings Daniel into the world to show God's sovereignty over the kingdoms of this world. That he is greater than any other kingdom in this world. Amen? Amen. In the midst of all of this, Persia, the Persian Empire comes to power. King Xerxes is there. And Esther was born for such a time as this to prevent the nation of Israel from genocide. Like we've had in Holocaust over in Germany. Ezra and Nehemiah were born to rebuild the homeland of the Israelites. And this brings us to the point where Jesus was born. What was his purpose? His purpose was to seek and save the lost. To restore us back to God. To bring us into an eternal promised land. But it didn't just stop there. See, Peter, he was born to pal around with Jesus. And he became the apostle to the Jews who had turned their back on God so many times. that It wasn't too late. But it doesn't stop there. The Apostle Paul, he was born to be an apostle, to preach the good news, to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ away from the Jews and to the Gentiles, the unbelievers, who could care less about God. From what I understand, I think most of us here are the Gentiles. We trace our roots not back to, I was a part of the tribe of Benjamin or whatever else. Then, it doesn't stop there. God brings into this planet you and me. Today, we are his bride, his church. And what is our purpose? It's not about the car we drive. It's not about the house we live in. It's not about the bank account we have. It's not about the number of children we have. It's not about anything in this world. Our purpose is to establish and advance his kingdom on this earth. Kingdom of the world, the kingdom of God. And our purpose is to establish God's kingdom on this earth. And here's the deal. It's the boundaries are no longer this little tract of land known, of, is known as Israel. That's not the promised land anymore. It has been expanded to that thing on the back wall. The entire world. That is our inheritance. And we have to go out and claim it. We must dispossess the enemy and establish the kingdom of God. Okay, so what am I talking about here? Get back to labor, get back to Jesus. Say pregnant. Pregnant. We are pregnant with the purposes of God. Let's say that. I am pregnant with the purposes of God. Kind of weird, I know, especially for a guy to say this. Okay. But there is something God wants to birth in us. In this church, there is something God wants to birth. And we have to be willing to go through the pain to do it. Romans chapter 8, 29. says, for God knew his people in advance. He chose them. For what purpose? To become like 
his son. God chose us to become like Jesus, not to make you a better person, but to make you like Jesus. Can I get an amen? Okay, let's look at the back of your bulletin there. Matthew chapter 9. We'll see Matthew chapter 9, 35 through 38. If God's purpose was to make us more like Jesus, then we should be doing the things Jesus did. 35 through 38. Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. And because they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So what did Jesus do? He went out, he preached, he teached, he healed and moved with compassion. He did kind things for them. But even Jesus recognized right here, verse 37, that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, that there was not enough people to do the work. What was Jesus all about? Let's look at Luke 9, I'm sorry, 1910. It's on the wall here. For the Son of Man came to... Seek and save those who are lost. Okay, there's a key thing here. Let's, let's look, say this one more time. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. He did not come to receive and save those who were searching. You guys see this? I, I, I'm, yes, he receives and saves those who search. Absolutely, I'm not saying he doesn't. His purpose was not to sit in the chair like Santa Claus and say, come on, what do you want? You with me? Jesus went out to the cities preaching and teaching. He sought after those who were lost, who had gone astray. That's what Jesus did. That's what God calls us to do. There's a work The laborers are few. There's a work that we're to do. Say, me. There's a work that me is supposed to do. And that is the work of God. That is sharing the gospel and making disciples. Started off talking about pregnancy is a natural part of being a woman. It's not some medical condition. It's natural. Sharing your faith. Evangelism big word for sharing your faith, telling others about Jesus, is a natural part of a Christian's life. It is not, it is not an excessive, insensitive, hate-speeching, overbearing, or abnormal condition of a Christian like our American culture paints it to be. Sharing your faith about Jesus is natural. It's meant to be natural. Um, here's, here's some things though. There's the biggest objections that I usually hear about sharing my faith. And you, you want me to go out and like talk to like, like talk. Two biggest objections. One is what will others say? Or what if they say no? I mean, what I, they could say yes. 
but I know it's weighed out. They could say no. They could say, maybe, you know what, that's, you gave me some good things to think about. They could say, you're a liar. They could reject you. They could curse you and mock you. They could try and trick you and, and, and ask you questions to try and stump you and make you look like an idiot or shipwreck your faith. All kinds of bad things. They could, they, and, and that's where all of this bad stuff that could happen and fear of rejection and not um, that right there is there's, there's one thing that could happen that is worth all the pain. They could say yes to Jesus. And we bring forth new life into the kingdom of God. And it's worth all the pain and anguish and agony and rejection and lies that are spoken about us. You picking up what I'm laying down? Yes? Second objection. What will others say? What will I say? <laughs> what am I supposed to say here? Revelation twelve eleven tells us that they overcame the enemy by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Talking about Jesus died on the cross, knowing that Jesus died on that cross to purchase freedom and salvation for us. That and our testimony, which nobody can take away of this is how God made himself undeniably real in my life. And I was on the highway to hell and God took me off course. God showed up in my life, transformed my heart, transformed my mind. And I'm not the same person. That person is dead. There's a new person that's alive. And I can't explain it other than God has done something to bring a new life in my, my heart. I'm not the same. That is your testimony. Part of what will help you, uh, there's a, actually scripture. Knowing what scripture says. Romans Road. Romans Road is actually five verses that are in the book of Romans that actually walk you through the salvation message, the gospel message, that you can tell people that everyone has sinned. We've all messed up. We've all rejected God. We're not a good person. And we've got to get through that. But, but God loves us so much that even while we were sinners, even while we were cursing him, stabbing him in the back, rebelling against him, he died on the cross for you. When we do things that go against who God is, that is known as sin. It separates us from God. And what we earn for indulging in selfishness, indulging in pride, and rejecting God, what we earn is hell. We don't deserve anything other than hell. But God. Say, but God. But God. The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. You guys with me? And if you believe that in your heart, you confess that with your mouth, the Bible says you will be saved. This is all Romans Road. There's five verses I just write off. This is the gospel message. And you've got to tell what God has done to you. All right, you want to write something else? Write this on your hand. Fear silences us. Fear silences us. What will they say? What do I say? 
I'm afraid. I don't know what to say. I don't know. You don't have to be good at it. You just got to open your mouth. Jesus tells us, check it out, Matthew chapter 10. Jesus tells us we can expect, we can anticipate that all the world will hate us because we're associated with him, because we follow him. We're going to be imprisoned. And my question is, if we don't see that happening in our lives, could we be doing something wrong? No, I'm not, ask, I'm not wanting to go on suicide missions here. But if we don't have some kind of thing that if people, we don't experience what Jesus says we're going to experience, maybe we're just too passive. Maybe we're not actually doing what we're supposed to be doing. And fear will silence us. I, I love this. People, I've heard it over and over. You know, I preach every day. Sometimes I use words. I've heard that over and over. It's like, you want to live it out. You guys, you know what I'm saying? I'm just going to, I'm going to love on them. And, and we're thinking, I'm just going to live a lifestyle of love. And, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that they're going to come to me and say, hey, what is so different? There's something about you. Is it, what's going on? Oh, it's Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. We're hoping that they're going to do that. We're hoping, hey, are you one of those Christians? Raise your hand if you've had somebody come up to you and say, hey, are you one of those Christians? Can you tell me how to accept Jesus into my life? Six? Seven. Okay, it's not very common. Does it happen on a regular basis? Raise your hand. On a regular basis, every month, you've got somebody coming up to you. No, because Jesus realized that too. And he went to seek and save those who were lost, who were on a wayward path, not waiting for someone to come to you. The urgency of heaven is that there are people who are dying every day, who are living in bondage every day, and we hold the key, and it's Jesus Christ. And what are we doing? We're, we're, we're silenced by fear. So here's the deal. If we are not sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with others, we are aborting the purposes of God in our life, what he created us to do. And we are aborting the purposes of God in their life because I can't reach that person like you would. God specifically placed you in their circle because you'll reach them unlike anyone else will. And we have to be obedient And it's not enough to just love people like Jesus told us to. Yes, do that. But that's not enough. We have to open our mouths. Otherwise, we're going to love them right to the gates of hell. In other words, it's not enough to just get to be pregnant. You got to give birth. But it doesn't stop there, does it, mom? No, no, you got to be a parent. The Apostle Paul and Timothy, he called Timothy his son in the faith. As far as I know, the Apostle Paul didn't have a wife or children. But Timothy was his son in the faith. And he took him under his wing. And that's something that we need to be able to do. Moms, you are incredible. You're welcome. You are. You are incredible. Here, and I see something about this. Uh, you know, Paul, he was beat He was imprisoned. He was tortured. All so that others could come to know Christ. At any moment, he could have just 
this is too intense. I think I'm, I, I think I'm just going to stay home. I'm going to make some tents, sell them, and I'm going to live a little more comfortable life. Any moment, he could have said that. But there was something that moved him forward. You see, in Romans 9, actually, Paul says, man, I would give up my own salvation if it meant you would come to know Christ. Not that he can, but he was willing to give it all up. And that sounds a lot like a mom. As a parent, you know, you're willing to endure anything and everything for what's best for your kid. And there are spiritual children that have not been born yet. That God has called for you to reach, to bring into the kingdom of God. You are pregnant with the purposes of God. Amen. So with that in mind, I want you to hear a little bit of picture. It's kind of like a picture of a mom, picture of a dad. Paul, what he did to bring salvation. As God's partner, this is 2 Corinthians 6, 1 to 10. I think it's on the wall too. As God's partner, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. For God says, at just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. And today, 2014, Mother's Day, is the day of salvation. And you have heard the gospel. You have received your salvation. But it doesn't end there. Today is the day of salvation for somebody else. And maybe one of your family members. When you go to your little family picnic this afternoon. Open your mouth. And bring forth life into the kingdom of God. We live in such a way that no one will stumble because of us. This is verse 3. And no one will find fault with our ministry. And everything we do, we show that we are true ministers of God. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. We have been beaten, been put in prison, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights, and gone without food. Yet we prove ourselves... By our purity, our understanding, our patience, our kindness, by the Holy Spirit within us and by our sincere love. We faithfully preach the truth, not what people want to hear. God's power is working in us. We use the weapons of righteousness in the right hand for attack and the left hand for defense. We serve God whether people honor us or despise us, whether they slander us or praise us. We are honest but they call us imposters. We're ignored, even though we're well-known. We live close to death, but we are still alive. We have been beaten, but we have not been killed. Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. We are poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing, and yet we have everything. This is the mystery of the peace and power of Jesus Christ in our life. Amen? Do you have what it takes to make disciples? Because Jesus didn't say suggest it. He says, go out, preach the gospel, and make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Do you have what it takes? Here's what it might look like in today. See if you got what it takes to be a disciple maker. Can we play that video? This is Pastor Joel, and I approve of this message. Sorry.
Just give me one second. Thank sure. You. Sorry. Uh huh. Hey. Hi. Two minutes. Thank you. Hi. Good afternoon. Sorry about hey, that. Hey, oi. Hi, nice Hi. to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. Have you ever done one of these interviews uh, over the camera before? No. Well, let me tell you a little bit about the job to get started with. It's not just um, a job. It's sort of probably the most important job. Uh, the title that we have going right now is Director of Operations, but it's really kind of so much more than that. Responsibilities and requirements are, are really quite extensive. Uh, first category for the requirements would be mobility. This job requires that you must be able to work standing up most or really all of the time, uh, constantly on your feet, constantly bending over, constantly exerting yourself, a high level of stamina. Uh, uh okay. That's a lot. For how many, like, for how many hours? Uh, 135 hours to unlimited hours a week. It's basically 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I'm sure you'll have a chance from time to time to maybe just sit down here and there, yeah? Uh, you mean like a break? Yeah. Uh, no, there are no breaks available. Is, is that even legal? Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. Okay, yeah. so like no lunch? You can or... have lunch, but only when the associate is done eating their lunch. Uh, I think that's a little intense. No, no not possible. That's crazy. Now, this position requires excellent negotiation and interpersonal skill. We're really looking for someone that might have a degree in uh, medicine, in finance, and the culinary arts. You must be able to wear several hats. Associate needs constant attention. Sometimes they have to stay up with an associate throughout the night. Being able to work in a chaotic environment, if you, if you had a life, we'd ask you to sort of give that life up. No vacations. In fact, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, and holidays, the workload is going to go up, and we demand that with, with a happy disposition. Uh, that's almost cruel. <laughs> that's almost uh, a very, very sick, twisted joke. But when there's time to sleep or... Oh, no time to sleep. Yeah, all-encompassing, all almost. That's exactly right. 365 days a year? Yes. No, that's, that's inhumane. That's, that's very insane. The meaningful connections that you make and the, the feeling that you get from really helping your associate are immeasurable. Also, let's cover the salary. The position is going to pay absolutely nothing. Excuse me? No. Nobody's doing that for free. Yeah, pro bono. Completely for free. <laughs> no. What if I told you there's someone that actually currently uh, holds this position right now? Billions of people, actually. Who? Moms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Moms. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> oh! <laughs> And they meet every requirement, oh, don't wow. they? Oh, my God. Moms are the best. Yeah, there's no pain. They're 24 hours. They're always there. Now I'm thinking about my mom. Yeah, and what are you thinking about her? I'm thinking about all those nights and everything. Thank you so much for everything you do. I know it doesn't seem like I appreciate all of it, but I definitely do. So, Mom, I want to say thank you for everything that you've done. I love you very much. You've been there through thick and thin. My mom is just awesome. She's awesome.
We actually have a little devotional for moms. Uh, it's in the Welcome Center. Um, can I get two teens to volunteer to pass those out? We've got Dustin, anyone, Katie, stand at the back in the, uh, in the not now, in the Welcome Center um, when we're done here. And there's baskets of little devotionals. That's, that's good for moms. And I, I really want you guys to pick one up. And it's a blessing. You see, like mom, <laughs> we always need to be ready to tend to the things that God has entrusted to us. We need to be making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. We need to have spiritual grandchildren. Amen? I want to finish with this. John twenty twenty one. A good parent, um, Terry Daniels, has on her fridge something along the lines of give your kids roots and then give them wings. Is it close? Right. Um, we get them rooted, train them up in the way they should go, and we give them wings to fly. Right? And that's how it is for us. Jesus, in John twenty twenty one, he says, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Similarly, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. We know this is the Great Commission. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. Notice, he's been given all authority. There is no authority, not even your own authority, can trump his command. It stands. This is what we need to do. Go forth. And make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. See, just as the Father has sent me, I send you. I did a little bit of homework in the history of this church. It used to be Victory Full Gospel and then turned to New Life Fellowship. Is that correct? In the history of this church, around 1984, 1985 is when it was founded uh, by Pastor Ed Newbert. And since then, we have not sent a single missionary out to the mission field. One career missionary has never been sent from this church. We have financially supported many missionaries over the years, but we have never sent somebody. We have never planted a church. That's about to change. Nineteen eighty-eight, late eighties, early nineties, we sent Pastor Ed to Haiti with some other pastors in the area. And he was down there ten or fourteen days preaching the gospel. We sent him, the pastor. Around nineteen ninety seven ish, we sent three people down to Mexico, two of which are elders, Joe, Cor- Joe Carpenter and Joe Sadowski, and another very faithful man in the church. We sent them down to Mexico, and they built a church, and they shared the gospel at night in town, and they even had an opportunity to go to the mountain villages and, and preach the gospel there. 2006, eight years ago, we had a crew of about 14 people. We went down to Mississippi to help the cleanup efforts of Hurricane Katrina that hit in late August 2005. Nine months later, and it was still a disaster. It looked like a war zone. But 14 of us went down. We did not get to preach the gospel down there. It was a labor of love. We worked. We did construction. We handed out food and stuff um, 
because uh, there were still families who, who, who didn't have homes after nine months, who were still living in shelters, who didn't have food. And so there was a soup kitchen. And so the women helped do that. The men helped with the construction and things like that. But we did not get to preach the gospel. And I regret that. It's one thing to show them love, but we can't just show them love without words. We've got to have words with it. They've got to hear. How will they believe unless someone speaks? How will someone speak unless somebody is sent? Amen? See, it looks like we have a mission trip about every nine years. So we're about due for a mission trip now. Yes? This is a restructuring of our priorities. You see, healthy people reproduce. Sick, emaciated people, the chances are very low that they're going to carry full term a pregnancy. Does that sound correct, doctor? Healthy people have healthy babies. Healthy churches reproduce themselves. And I want to finish this. We have class 401 next week. Class 201, 301, and 401 next week. And class 401 is our childbirth class. Class 401 prepares you for the labor, for the mission that God has for you. It is focused specifically on how to share your faith effectively. Because people are at all kinds of different places in their walk with God. And class 401 will equip you. And this is just a little excerpt of our global vision that New Life Fellowship has. This is what Pastor and I have prayed about. And it is, it doesn't look like it's going to happen unless we take, we take hold of what God has given us. It is the hope of sending out dozens of career missionaries and church workers all around the world and empowering every member for a personal life mission in the world. It is the dream of sending our members by the hundreds, say hundreds. We don't have hundreds in this church today. It takes 200 or more to have hundreds. But it is our dream that we're going to see the lost come to Jesus, and this place is going to be filled, and we will be sending people by the hundreds on short-term mission projects to every continent. This is our dream. This is what we want God to bless, our endeavor to pursue, to advance his kingdom. And lastly, it is the dream of starting at least two new daughter churches in the next five years. We can't do that unless we're obedient to do what he's called us to do. We have a mission. We have a job to do. We've got to get out there and we've got to do it. When did Jesus say the end would come? The end would come when the gospel is preached to every nation. We're getting really close to that. There's not much time left. We have a job. So what are you going to do with this? I remember my apprenticeship. They're like, don't just stand there. Do something. Right? (laughs) I want every single one of you. This is a challenge. I want every single one of you to take a door hanger and an invite you card. Now, this is not very effective if you just hang it on their door. 
and leave an invite you card for the waitress at your restaurant. does not work very well. Um, what does work is when you talk with them about it, and you're like, oh, that's right, I have this right here. Or you go out of your way to talk to the neighbor that you've lived next to for years and had three conversations with. <laughs> and you say, you know what? I found this awesome church. And I just want, I want you to come check it out. I don't know if you go to church anywhere. And if they do, bless them, go for it. Let them go to their church. We want to see people who are lost come to Jesus. You with me? The only thing is, by faith, we put something on here. It says Saturday service, a Saturday night service. We don't have that yet. Yet. You guys with me? There's a need for other services. People don't have work schedules that accommodate them coming here. And Jeffrey, I'm going to ask you to pass them out. Dustin. Guys, we got to let people know about Jesus. But I want, not all of you are ready for this. Some of you are going to need a gynecologist. Some of you are going to need somebody who specializes. I am too locked up. I am too, there's something dysfunctional. I can't open my mouth. That's great. That's what I'm here for. So Pastor Joel is here for. If you don't know what to say or how to say it, come to class 401 next week. Yes? I need 30 people. Right now, I need 30 people. This is for a bigger commitment. If you are convinced of the urgency of heaven and the need to go out and share your faith and not just let another moment go by, I need 30 people. I have 30 bracelets and 30 cards that talk about the Romans road, that you're going to take this, you're going to memorize it, you're going to keep it with you, you're going to walk somebody through Romans road, you're going to talk to somebody, a complete stranger, and you're going to, you're going to pursue that this next week, these next two weeks. I need 30 people who are going to take and commit to being on mission right now, Pursuing the purposes of God in their life. I want you to come up right here. I want to commission you. I want to lay hands on you and launch you. Because this isn't just a feel-good message about we've got to do something and then wonder what we're going to do. We've got to respond to this. I need 30 people. Anybody else? Do you know this message was speaking directly to you? You're challenged. We're talking about going out and preaching the gospel.
Anybody else who wants to take and answer the call? Teens, you can be a part of this. You're not too young. You're not too old. I'm going to go out and I'm going to share about Jesus Christ. And I'm equipping you guys to do this. I know this is a huge step. This is a huge challenge. I've thrown down the gauntlet. I've thrown down the glove and say, cross the line. Not all of you are ready. I know that. I understand that. But I'm asking those whom God is impressing on your heart. I can't sit still anymore. I need to go and speak. I need to open my mouth. I have 13 more. Anyone else? Anyone else? There you go. Pass these out. Let's John Carpenter, uh, Burdett, Kevin, and anyone else who feels that you want to lay hands on these people and we want to commission them. We want to launch them. We're going to pray blessing. We're going to pray that God prepares the way for them. And we're going to see lost people come into Jesus Christ. God has been growing this church in the past six months. And when I get to asking people, so how did you come to know about new life? How did you come to find us here? It's not very common that it was an invite that somebody gave them. Most common answer is I found it on Google. I was looking for a church online. And the second, which is awesome, is that they felt something that God told them that they need to be here. I I run past this church every day when I'm jogging, and I decided now was the time to come. I drive by this on my way home. I I was going to go to this church and that church, but I I felt like God said I needed to be here. Guess what? We can't take credit for that. That's God. God says he's going to build his church, but he calls us to advance his kingdom. Amen? So if you have that in your heart about going out and reaching the lost, speaking to them and helping them to find Jesus, would you come up and let's lay hands on these and we're going to pray for them.